0: Our scripture today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, and verses 16 through 25. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezbron, and Hezbron the father of Ram, and the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, so are all the generations from Abraham to David, were 14 generations, And from David to deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. The birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they became together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold... The angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Good morning. My name is uh, Brian Sorgen Fry, and I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, just delighted that you're with us. Especially if you're a visitor or first time, let us know if there's anything that we can do uh, to answer questions or help you get connected. Uh, we are starting our semester series through Matthew, right? And it begins with this introduction. As I thought about introductions, I realized. Uh, introductions and first impressions are, they're kind of funny things because uh, they're a reality. Anytime you enter kind of a new town, which some of you might have done recently, or maybe uh, a new freshman year of college, there's a sense that you start wondering, how do I come across? And especially if you just entered this uh, week-long thing called recruitment or rush that is, uh, all of that is ramped up, where the... (laughs) anytime that you're introducing yourself, the temptation is this. I'm going to put my best foot forward so that you, you, you see a good part of me and I'm going to hide what's bad. Some of you have probably even like deleted social media posts in the last year so as to hide uh, something bad, right? Well, this is when the New Testament introduces us to Jesus, the claimed worldwide hero or savior of the world. And how does it do it? It's this genealogy that Randall amazingly sang for us, and then Glenn read half of it for us. But it's a genealogy. Why? Like, if you're like me, when you get to, you just kind of skip over it and get to the good stuff. However, in Jesus' day, and a guy named Ricky Jones reminded me of this, a lot lot of the sermon uh, came from him, but in Jesus' day, family was everything. So much so that your genealogy was kind of like your resume that we, that we use today. It's the way that you, you said who you were. So if there, there's even accounts where if someone really in your family history was really embarrassing or shameful, you just didn't list them. So you didn't have to be associated with them. Well, here's what I want you to think about. If Jesus is who he claims to be, God in the flesh, then he is actually the only person to have lived that got to handpick his genealogy. Think about that. He got to pick who his parents, grandparents, great, great, great grandparents are, right? But what's interesting is you could say Jesus doesn't put his best foot forward. I don't know who you'd pick to be in your family tree. I'd pick all these awesome people. Jesus picks people that have checkered paths, that have a lot of embarrassing things and that are really broken. Which means the way that Jesus introduces you uh, to himself He's going to show you the kind of savior that he is. He's actually proud to be associated with these people. So, two things. We're going to look at the need for a hero, and then we're going to look at the the people of the hero. First, the need for a hero. Okay, yes, the genealogy plants this story in real history. It really happened 2,000 years ago, but it begins with Abraham for a reason, right? Matthew is written to mostly a Jewish audience who are steeped in the Old Testament. They know the stories. They know this is their history. And they knew that back in, back in Genesis 12, Abraham receives a promise. And that promise is that through Abraham's descendants, the whole world is going to be blessed and healed. That's the promise that they've been holding on to. So if you, you can think about the genealogy in this way, it's telling the story of the Bible. It's telling the story of world history that centuries upon centuries of the Old Testament, everybody is waiting in this sin-filled, dark-filled, death-dominated world for, for Abraham's seed to come and to heal the whole world. They're waiting for a Messiah. And all throughout the Old Testament, that person doesn't show up to fix what's wrong. And Matthew begins the genealogy, starting with Abraham and saying, hey, he's here. The Messiah, the anointed one, the hero, the one you've been waiting for is here and his name is Jesus, and so just think about that big context for a minute of all of them waiting for a hero, this death-filled, sin-filled world that they, they can't fix, so they need someone. And what you're beginning to realize, I think, is a hero is only needed when the problem is so big or the situation is so out of control that you can't fix it, right? My son and, I, uh, and, and my family have been watching Mission Impossible. Sorry, I said this last week. Ethan Hunt never gets called when like, you know, somebody's having like a property dispute to kind of mediate it, right? Or Iron Man never shows up because Alice like broke her arm and just needs to get to the hospital. These heroes show up when there's a problem that is so big that nobody can fix it. And this is the principle I would love for you to hear. Your need for Jesus is going to always be directly proportional to your understanding how unmanageable the problems within me are and out in the world. And that's what I want to ask you is, have you felt that? Have you felt the overwhelming darkness, yes, out there in the world, but also in here, in me? Because if you haven't, you actually will miss the hero Jesus. And so, yes, on a grand scale, there, just today, like there always has been out throughout history, there are just, we cannot get peace in the world. It doesn't matter if it's a war in Ukraine. It doesn't matter if there's a huge fire in Hawaii there are leaders that come around that propose new solutions yes the world can become a better place but overall it's not fixed the world is screaming it needs a hero but then if you turn in and you think about an individual level like have you felt it have you felt the darkness press in upon you and it's just too big for you like anxiety about kids social pressure that plagues Oxford and the Ole Miss campus, aging parents that we don't know how to kind of adequately care for, it's overwhelming. And then, man, when you really look inside at yourself, you're like me, you start seeing guilt and shame and it's things that, that you can't fix. It doesn't matter if culture tells you shouldn't feel guilty, it's still there. And what I would ask you to consider is Not just have you recognized that there's a hero that needs to heal the whole world, but have you recognized that the problems within yourself you cannot manage? Because most of the times, if you're like me, it gets really hard to see the stuff within you. It can feel so unmanageable that we usually do one of two things. We either numb that reality by distraction or by substance abuse or by busyness because I just don't want to feel the darkness within, so I'll just numb it. We either do that or the other thing we do is we pick one part of our life and we just work hard to perfect that. If I can just perfect my beauty, if I can just perfect my social life or perfect my grades, at least that will feel like it's under control. You'll see that and that'll make my life feel manageable. But those two things, they're they're ways to avoid your need of a hero, Jesus. And Matthew is saying, look at history. The solution to both outside of you and inside of us is actually a hero named Jesus that came into real history to deal with real sin and real death and real darkness. He became human. And that brings us to the people of the hero, right? Again, remember, Jesus is the only person in the history of the world that actually got to handpick his genealogy. And here's what's interesting. His genealogy includes five women's names which in those days was, was pretty ludicrous. In a high patriarchal society, I'm not saying this is right, you just didn't mention women in your genealogy. But Jesus does. And so I'm just going to walk through four of those names and show you who they are and show you how they reveal the kind of hero that Jesus is and how he's proud to be identified with these people. And the first one is Tamar in verse 3. You can read about Tamar in Genesis 38, and it is a sad, you could say horrifying, stomach-churning story. It is not the feel-good story. If you were to go read it this afternoon, here's what you'll find. Tamar is a woman who her whole life is used and abused. She's twice married and twice left a widow because all we're told is that her husbands were so evil that they were struck down by the Lord. I don't know what that means, but it must have been horrible to be married to those men. And then... Her father-in-law, who was supposed in that day protect her and provide for her when she's left a widow, actually lies to her, sends her away so that she has to fend for herself. That's Tamar. Her life is a train wreck and none of it's her fault. She's been sinned against. She's oppressed by people with power who were supposed to take care of her but instead get rid of her. And so what happens is she gets to such a moment of desperation and an act of sheer self-preservation she dresses up as a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law and becomes pregnant. And out of that pregnancy are twins, one named Perez, who Jesus puts in his genealogy. Why? Why would Matthew make sure that Tamar, a woman who was personally and systematically sinned against and abused to the point of desperation, why would Jesus say she's in my genealogy? To show you the kind of hero that Jesus is. To show you the kind of people he came to be identified with. Because right, again, we, we probably don't talk about this enough quite in the church. But living in a broken and dark world means that all of us to some extent have been sinned against. There's definitely a spectrum. But some of you people who should have taken care of you. People who, who should have stood up for you instead hurt you. Uh, manipulated, maybe even abandoned you. And that pain is awful. There was a friend of mine who when he was doing campus ministry, uh, he was in a small group and actually had uh, mostly females in it. And he just asked this question. He said, how many of you uh, by now have been um, treated inappropriately sexually? And how those 20 females, 18 raised their hand. That, that probably doesn't surprise some of you. That is the reality of the world that we live in. And this needs to be talked about because here's the thing. Here's the double life. You've been sinned against in that way. There's a double pain because you actually feel guilty. You feel dirty and it wasn't your fault. It was actually something done to you and not by you, but there's still scars. And Jesus puts Tamar in his genealogy to say to people who've been bruised and broken by other people's sin, people who feel shame and, and it's not their fault to say, I came for you. I came to be identified with you. That's why in verse 23, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because what you need is a hero, you ready? That becomes a victim. And God became a man in Jesus and he's going to be sinned against his whole life. He's going to be slandered. He's going to be manipulated. He's going to have acts of violence against him. He's going to be spit upon. And at the end of his life, in the greatest injustice the world has ever seen, he will actually hang on a cross, a a symbol of shame, naked, and he's purely innocent, crying out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Which means, on the one hand, if you're a victim this morning, he is not removed from you when you cry out to him, he knows what it's like to be you. He knows the pain of mistreatment and injustice, and he will walk with you through it. And also he knows just how evil evil really is because he took it on himself. And he promises that that no one is going to get away with anything everybody's going to get what they deserve. Either Jesus will take it on himself on a cross 2,000 years ago, or when he comes back, he will work out justice himself. But no one gets away with anything. And that means that Jesus actually has a greater power than the evil that's been done to you. Those scars, that dirtiness, because of something done to you, Jesus has the power to make a cosmic declaration about you that says you're clean, and you matter, and it really can overpower what's been done to you. I've told this story before, I think even behind, behind this pulpit, but it's a somewhat famous story from the World Harvest Mission material, uh, and it tells the story of this girl who came through counseling, and she started talking about how when she was seven, her dad had a favorite shirt, and it was in the washer like it normally was, and so she wanted to make her dad happy, and get it dry before he came home. So she pulls it out and she goes outside, but she can't reach the clothesline. So instead, the only thing she can reach is this wheelbarrow and she hangs it over the wheelbarrow and it's rusty. So when her dad comes home, she's so excited, can't wait to show her dad what, what she did for her. She takes it outside and says, Dad, look, I dried your favorite shirt. And when he walks over and he pulls it off the wheelbarrow, it rips a hole in it and there's a big rust stain across it. And he scowls and berates her and says, how could you? Well, after years of counseling and her becoming a Christian, she looks at her counselor and this is what she said. She said, you know what I finally had to realize is that Jesus is so unlike my dad. What Jesus would have done in that situation, he actually would have taken that shirt with a hole in it and a rust stain. He would have put it on and he would have worn it to work the next day. And he would have said, look what my daughter did for me. Isn't it awesome? And it began to bring healing because that's the kind of God that he is. He identifies with you. He heals. And so he's a hero for those who have been sinned against like Tamar. Second of all, Rahab is mentioned, right? This is verse 5. You can read about Rahab in Joshua 2. Here's, here's, here's the summary. She's in the land of Canaan. That was a culture so twisted that they were, they were offering live babies to sacrifice to, to, to God's And in that dark land, there was a dark little outpost called Jericho. And in that dark outpost, there's a prostitute named Rahab. Here's my guess about Rahab. Probably she's lived a more publicly immoral life than anybody in this room. Probably. And the reason I say that is most people with this kind of public immoral life do not show up on a Sunday morning. That shouldn't be the case. If that is you, I'm so glad you're here. This is where you need to be. But usually it's just so felt they stay, they stay away. So why? Why would Jesus put Rahab, a person who has such a, a, a train wreck of past sin and guilt of things she wished that she didn't know, why would, she put Rahab, why would he put Rahab in his genealogy? Because Jesus is a hero of those who look at their life and at their past and say, Man, there's things that I did or wish I hadn't done that I still can't get over. There's so much in my past that still haunts me. Uh, Gordon McDonald uh, was a published author, president of InterVarsity years ago in the 70s and 80s. He was become this prominent figure when a secret affair he was having came out. And so then he rightly disappears from ministry. Uh, and probably a decade or so later, uh, President Clinton is elected. And all of a sudden, he appears again as one of his spiritual advisor cabinet people. And as he returns on the scene, what's interesting is a lot of people remembered who this person was. And when he would show up, sometimes new articles or even the headline would say this, Gordon MacDonald, advisor of Bill Clinton, the spiritual adulterer. How's that for a past that hangs with you, right? And this is what we all got to own. All of us in some, again, in some spectrum have things from our past that haunt us that 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 we hope nobody nobody ever finds out or that people do know and you can't get over it could be like some relationship in your past that shattered and you realize it was mostly my fault it could be things that you did this week that you look at and you think gosh I hadn't have done that and my question is when you when you feel that kind of guilt or that you look at your past and you think I wish I had not done that like where do you turn because what you're realizing is something needs to be done about my past guilt and Jesus puts Rahab in his genealogy to say I'm a savior that came for people who cannot make up for their broken past because what you need and what I need and I know this is going to sound strange is you need someone did you see this in verse 18 conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary I know that sounds strange, but if you were a Jewish person reading this and you heard about the Holy Spirit hovering over something, you always would have thought Genesis 1, the beginning of the Bible, when the Holy Spirit is hovering, you know what's happening? Creation is happening. And so when you hear that the Spirit is now hovering over over, uh, the womb of the Virgin Mary and there's a person coming, you know what you're supposed to think? New creation, new humanity, new beginnings. And when that person, Jesus, ends up on a cross and cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's taking the punishment for all of our past sin that you and I can't fix. Why? So that you'll be a new creation. A new status is given to you. So Gordon McDonald, that same person I just told you about, uh, eventually he started being interviewed again. And somebody finally asked him, they said, okay, like what's it like to publicly be known as the, like, the spiritual adulterous pastor and here's what he ended up saying. He said, well, at this point in my life, honestly, I think it's kind of great. He said, I think everybody should have a name tag with kind of with all their greatest sins that they wear into worship. And when they walk in, they take it off and they just stick it on Jesus because that's the reality. He had been healed. Jesus is a hero that came for people who have been sinned against. He's a hero for people who have just a truckload of past of regrets that they can't get over. And then you have this person named Ruth there's a whole book of the Bible devoted to Ruth. It's an awesome story. It's a true story. But here's what I, all I want you to know about Ruth. She was a Moabite. What that meant in, in uh, biblical terms is she was a Gentile. What that meant in our terms is she's an outsider. She was an ethnic, religious, and social outsider. She was on the margins. Everything about her life screamed, you're unwanted. She was one of those people. And Jesus puts Ruth in his genealogy to show the kind of savior that he is, that he came for outsiders, that he came for the marginalized, the people on the edges. Because if you watch Jesus in the gospels, the outsiders are always in with Jesus and the insiders always seem to be out because he came to rescue people who feel like they're unwanted. He's actually proud to be associated with outsiders. Robin Williams, the late great comedian, um, Actor who uh, tragically died from suicide. One time he said this, and he struggled a lot with loneliness. He said, "I used to think uh, the worst thing in the world was being alone, but he said actually, I found out the worst thing in the world is being surrounded by people that make you feel alone." You ever felt that way? You can be on a campus with thousands of people and you feel utterly alone, like nobody knows you. You can be in Oxford, a place that feels so so, so socially connected, but I feel utterly alone. Like I, I don't think I have to press in the pain of loneliness uh, and the fears of being unwanted. It's so painful that sometimes you find yourself just changing who you are so you don't have to be on the outside. And the deep lie is this, that if I'm an outsider with people, then if, if we're talking about the holy and perfect righteous God, I must be an outsider with him. I, I must be unwanted by him. And the hero Jesus, who is God says that's a lie because Jesus is the ultimate insider if Jesus is who he said he is he's the eternal son of God the second person of the trinity which means he was on the cosmically on the inside father son holy spirit and you know what he did he left that and he was born born to an unwed mother born poor mocked about his hometown rejected by all the religious and social elites and he ultimately ends up on a cross a symbol of rejection as when he wears our sin and all those who trust him God the Father turns his face away. Why? So that you and I can be brought in, so you can be accepted, so you can have the smile of God the Father and Jesus the Son on you. The all-time NBA great Bill Russell, uh, who played uh, during the 50s and 60s, right amidst all kinds of civil rights stuff and, uh, and just stuff going on there, he was asked one time later on what it was like to play in the NBA while being a black man. And what's it like to be kind of cheered on the court for your achievements? But then once you're off the court, you're known you're actually, you're not very welcome here. And here's what he said. He said, I was aware that I lived a totally, completely segregated place. And the majority of the people were very unkind to me. But then he said this, my father and my mother loved me dearly. And that gave me a confidence that when I went out and met other people, some who didn't even like me, I realized that was their problem and not mine. Because if these two marvelous people, my mom and dad, love me that much, I must be okay. Think about what Bill just said. There is an acceptance, a smile from someone else that can actually change, uh, change you before the opinion of others. There's a love that can change you. Jesus came to bring acceptance from the Lord of this universe that's so real and so eternal that even if you're an outsider, it can flip it upside down. And so, if you're an outsider because of personality, or even what you feel because of race, or because your financial resources, or whatever, Jesus smiled in acceptance because it's by sheer grace. It flips it upside down. And he begins this thing called the kingdom of God that is going to unite a worldwide cross cultural movement that will start bringing down all the barriers that used to, used to uh, separate people. And the seedbed of that is called the church. And look, we got a long way to go and we've not done this well in the church worldwide or even Christ pres, but we hope that the Christ pres is a place where the normal barriers come down and you can find real friendship. We'd love for that to be the case. So he, Jesus is the kind of hero that came for people who have been sinned against, who came for people who have a truckload of sin in their past and can't get over their regrets and for outsiders. And lastly, you have Bathsheba, verse 6. It's so interesting. Because Bathsheba's name isn't used, right? It just says David was the father of Solomon. You see this? By the wife of Uriah. Matthew wants you to know that King David fathered a son by another man's wife. So he'll just say she was the wife of another man. And Uriah was one of David's best friends. And David, what happens is he sees Bathsheba. You can read about this in 2 Samuel. He lusts over, he uses his power to get her and to sleep with her. She gets pregnant and then this panic mode to try to cover it up. He has Uriah killed. This is David. Like David wrote a lot of the Psalms. David, if you want to use our terms that we use today, David was a Christian. Honestly, he was a better Christian than me. I haven't written any of the Bible. And yet he did this. While he was a Christian. And here's the thing. David had tons of kids. Yet Jesus picks the point of David's biggest failure and says, there. That's the line I'm coming through. Why would he do that? Oh, because this is what's beautiful. Jesus didn't just come to be identified with people who have passed sin. He actually came to heal and be a hero for those who are Christians following him and still struggle with sin. Right? That's why they say, name him Jesus. Jesus. Because it means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins, past, present, and future sins that you've not even committed yet. This is what's good news. Jesus didn't just come and forgive your past sins and say, okay, now it's up to you. He saves his people from our their sins. So when they when they when he's on the cross and he cries out, it is finished, he's saying all the work required to bring his people back into relationship with him, it's done. He finished it. All sin forgiven. His perfect righteousness granted to you so that by faith you have the smile of God and nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, not even your future sin. And listen to me, if you don't get this, trust me, man, this is me. If you don't get this, you will try to be your own hero. You will think that your struggles with sin are simply up to you to beat. And you'll think your struggles with sin somehow jeopardize your relationship with God or at least bring out frustration and anger. And you'll think God's sitting there being like, surely you're better than this by now. But that's not what it's like. Last night I have, uh, we know somebody <clears throat> who their uh, daughter was born with extreme cerebral palsy, was told that she might probably would never walk, but they didn't accept that answer. And so through all this therapy and through years of that, I think when she was like six or seven, finally uh, they were going to let her, no, there were no cars coming, they were going to get her to walk across the street and they filmed it, Right. And as she begins to walk, you know, she's struggling. She can barely do it. She's limping along. But when she crosses, they just start cheering. It's an uproar. Why? Not because she did it great or even perfectly, but because she had come so far. And that was their daughter. Which means her disability brought out their compassion, not their frustration. You do realize Jesus loves better than that. And if by faith you're connected to him, even your sin struggles bring out compassion. I'm not saying that he likes those things, but it brings out his compassion, his tenderness. He's so glad that you're his. He's so glad that you're struggling and you're just making effort you didn't used to. And now you are. And I just want to, if you don't know that Jesus, then you don't know the freedom, because that frees you. It frees you to struggle. It frees you to be honest. It frees you to speak your doubts. And we hope that, we know that Jesus is, and we hope that the church is a safe place for you to come, broken and sinful and struggle and have doubts because it's a place that you'll meet Jesus who is this kind of hero. That's what Jesus is like. So I'll just end with this. There's an old NPR podcast called StoryCorps. I don't know if it's still on. I used to listen to it a lot, but they just always match two people that are kind of having an interesting conversation. And this was a conversation between a mom and her uh, son with Down syndrome named Josh. And so she was interviewing her son, having fun, and getting him to talk just about what life was like growing up. And she one time looked and said, Josh, why don't, you, why don't you tell me again about what your dreams were when you were a kid? And he's like, ah. Oh. He said, when I was a kid, I wanted to make my mom proud, so I, so I wanted to be a professional wrestler and a pastor. Right? And he's like 19, he's not become a professional wrestler, he's not become a pastor. And when he said I wanted to make my mom proud, that's why I did that, you could tell there was this kind of silence, right, because he hadn't become those things. So all of a sudden she switched real quick and she goes, okay, Josh, but do you, think you're, do you think your mom's proud of you? And he goes, oh, I know my mom's proud of me. And so he said, well, let's, let's do that thing we, we always do growing up. And, he, and she goes, you're my Josh. He goes, you're my mom. You're my Josh. You're my mom. Right? And, this, and the tears kind of start coming because what you realize is here was someone who did not become all the things that he said that he was going to become to make his mom proud, but it didn't matter because there was a love, a, a a pride that was there before he was even born. Because it wasn't based on what he was achieved. It was based on the fact that he was hers and nothing could change that. That kind of love, that kind of acceptance that isn't based on your performance, doesn't that taste like joy? Doesn't that kind of acceptance bring a safety and an intimacy that draws you in? That is a glimmer of Jesus. He's the hero who came for people who've been sinned against, who came for people who have a past that they can't get over, who came for outsiders, and he came for people who know him and are following him and love him and still can't get their life together. Because the common characteristic of all those people is the problems are just too big, they can't handle it. And Jesus says, that's why I came. And my question is, is that you this morning? Honestly, because if not, here's the beware. The people who miss Jesus are the people who don't think they need a hero because they're good people because they're self-righteous, because they've got it together, because they don't need grace. That's always who misses Jesus. But if you're one of these people like me, then this is Jesus. He's the hero. And no matter what sin, what brokenness, whatever you put up next to him, his grace really is greater. I promise. My invitation would be for you to join us the rest of the semester as we really look at this hero, Jesus, and see that he is full of grace and is going to heal the world. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, um, I guess thank you for sending Jesus, for even giving us a genealogy that I know so often uh, can seem boring and what's going on here, but man, it shows us the kind of Savior that you are, that you actually are not ashamed to call us brothers, as Hebrew says. Uh, So would you enable us to see and receive a Savior that is identified with really broken people? Would that bring joy this morning for the first time or the thousandth time? In Jesus' name, amen.